This episode is sponsored by Kangaroo Jack Fitness. Personal training that goes above and beyond to get the best results for you. Oh, I just dropped a fucking 10p in my tea. and welcome to another episode of Game Time, the podcast that keeps you on your toes by not setting a normal release date nor a normal release topic. We're essentially like that shit goodie bag you get at the end of a five-year-old's birthday party. Speaking of shit goodie bags, Alan's here. I'm very much the toffees of those goodie bags. (laughs) Whatever you don't want. Uh, Does that make Ryan the broken yo-yo or the stale piece of cake then? I'll leave that up to him. Ryan? I'd prefer to be the drumstick lolly if you gave me a choice. The one that just gets absolutely stuck to the roof of your mouth anytime you try to eat it. That's the one. Drumstick lolly and stale toffees it is for this week. We're going to be talking Champions League, but before we go head steaming in, head steaming is not even a thing, before we go head first into Champions League football, it's been a while and we apologise for that. How are you guys doing anyway? Ryan, keeping busy? Yeah, yeah, busy as you can be, of course. How about you? Yeah, very, very good, thank you. Alan's preparing for a marathon. As always, I apologise for nothing. Um, <laughs> welcome to have us. Um, I am preparing for a half marathon. A uh, half, apologies. I've smoked more cigarettes this year than <laughs> I have done runs, but it's, we'll, we'll roll with it. It's going to be good. And we'll be live-tweeting his progress. It's going to be difficult, yeah. It's the first mile is going to take about an hour. <laughs> then it's all downhill from there. You just breeze it. But um, enough of that. Let's Let's get into... A very tasty week of Champions League action. Plenty to cover from VAR incidents to upsets. Let's start it with possibly the biggest upset of the week. Ajax dumping back-to-back-to-back holders Real Madrid out. Did you catch that game? And what did you think of a a very dominant Ajax team at the Bernabeu? I must be honest. I mean, it sort of came second fiddle to me um, because it was the same time as the Tottenham game. Um, But from what I saw, from what I could hear on um, Twitter, obviously as the uh, Tottenham game was unfolding, the Real Madrid um, game was on at the same time and Ajax just seemed to absolutely dominate them. And it was really strange like seeing um, a team that is usually known for being sort of like quite good in their domestic league, but then maybe having to sell on a lot of their players previously to bigger clubs. It's it's nice to see them get a bit of recognition because like from what I saw from the highlights, they played ever so well and they were very unlucky not to get at least a draw in the first leg. So I feel like that was a bit of karma for them personally. But yeah, I thought was, they were very good. I mean, Real Madrid looked very poor. Um, but yeah, like I said, I think they did ever so well. Like, and I'm very, very happy that a, a sort of like a, a team with as much history and, and sort of prestige as Ajax managing to get back into sort of like the last stages of of the Champions League, which is where they traditionally used to be. Karma. You mentioned karma. This is going to come up a lot in this podcast. I'll start the ball rolling. Sergio Ramos, absolutely wonderful to see that the man admitted to getting purposely booked. 
and now won't take any further part in this Champions League and will be banned for the next one. I mean, the more glorious aspect of that was he was actually filming an Amazon documentary during the game. So there was footage directly of him um, as as his team sort of broke down. I do want to talk a bit more about Ajax, though, because it, was, like, it wasn't just a victory. It was an absolute dismantling of Real Madrid. And the quality of the goals as well was fantastic. But like this is an Ajax team, as we said, of struggled in the last few years and they're in terms of well progression in the Champions League I think their stated aim for the last few seasons has been just to make it out of the group and here we are now with them knocking out the defending champions in convincing style um, and, and they've got a really good sort of young crop of talent coming through we know that um, De, no De Jong's off to Barcelona isn't he is indeed but De Ligt looks pretty assured as in his, his captaincy Um but yeah, what what a moment and what a prick Brian Sergio Ramos is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, Ajax were terrific. And, and if you can, you can't really pinpoint one man out of that team because it was a great team effort. But if you could pinpoint one, Dushan Tadic. <laughs> oh my God. He was making Southampton fans and Casemiro absolutely crawl into a small corner and not want to look because he was on fire. A goal, two assists in that game. He was absolutely running the show. And yeah, I mean, what highlights it more than anything, I suppose, is the fact that L'Equipe have given him a 10 out of 10 rating, only the ninth time ever that L'Equipe have given that score to a player. And you've got to say, based on the assists and the quality of his goals, absolutely deserved. Um, Yeah, I mean, Ajax got quite a player there from Southampton, haven't they? (laughs) I don't even remember him being that good in the Premier League. Um, I think he had he had a spell. I think when when Samson were under Ronald Koeman, um, sort of like towards the um, sort of the start and the, the middle of the 2015-16 season, I seem to remember him being quite influential. I remember that game when they beat Sunderland eight nil, and um, hit around that sort of time, I seem to remember him being sort of talked of as quite a good a good playmaker. But obviously, it's it's quite strange really because he is a player. He, he doesn't really fit the Ajax mould. If you look at the rest of their team, the rest of them are either young South American players. For example, you've got like David Neres and they've, they've signed players before previously from, from sort of like South American countries. And then you've obviously got basically the whole of the Ajax youth team, which is where they get their team from, really. They, they sort of bring players through. You've had like Ericsson, Vertonghen, and Alderweireld players like that before. Um, but he's weird because obviously he's been in an established league and he's sort of in an established player, late 20s, early 30s, sort of like mould. And they paid a lot of money for him at the time, which was over £10 million, which is a euro, sorry, which is a lot of money for a team like Ajax, which basically relies on their academy. So it's a really it's a really weird that like a, the most un-Ajax player of all time turns up and puts in possibly the best performance this side of when Johan Cruyff used to play for them. Oh, that is... Absolutely. That's a big call. That is, yeah. but a beautiful... I mean, well, well, I wouldn't say he's the best player they've had since then, but I mean, like in terms of yeah. individual one-off performance, if you would have sort of put Gibbs and Tadic the chance to put a Johan Cruyff mask on and then they would have filmed it and then have gone, yeah, fair enough, he's done really well there. Oh, <laughs> but um, he definitely had the, the sort of the, um, the game that people would expect him to have if he was sort of one of their top, top players. And it is miraculous, isn't it, the way they keep sort of producing these top players because I read an interview well there was an interview after the game with a, a Dutch journalist who just said the focus in terms of the way I 
focus their money has to be on the youth system because you know mm, they, get money, they get their mo- this money for De Jong, which is great. How much was it? A hundred odd million. Yeah, it's, it's it's over a hundred, I think, combined with all of the sort of fees and stuff taken into account. Definitely. Right. Exactly. A huge, huge amount of money. But Ajax can't spend that on players particularly because then you've got to pay in big wage, and that's not sustainable for Ajax as a team. Um, and, and so they have to focus on the youth setup. It's a bit like um, Bill Bow. Yeah, they they received a huge amount from Kepa, but they can't reinvest that because they can only nick players off. Um, is it Sociedad? Uh, basically, Sociedad or any Basque yeah. players. But yeah, so they got to focus on new setup. But Ajax are just brilliant at doing. Oh, it's absolutely stunning. And Ryan mentioned David Neres, which means I can mention the fact that he absolutely destroyed Danny Carvajal with ah. a Rabona flick in the corner. Just, just wonderful to see. If we flip it slightly. Um, Onto Real Madrid. Uh, they're the first reigning Champions League winner to fail to qualify for the quarterfinals since Chelsea in 2012. And that defeat was the biggest they've had in any European competition at home. They lost to Barcelona twice in the previous week as well and look way out of the title race in La Liga. And, and I know Solari isn't the future of it, but has that Ajax defeat just got Jose Mourinho a job? Well, well I was about to say, is there a Lowry based in Madrid? <laughs> I, I, I assume they could just have the same setup for him, you know, rolling contract. Straight so, Easy as you like. Um, Spanish, um, the, the Spanish media reported it. Here lies a team that made history as the, as the headline. Um, What's the Spanish for that? Ici, Ecri, Grande, Tour de Feldons, Mon Pantalons. Something like that. Don't, yeah, don't quote me on that. Um, but it, it does feel like now is properly the end of that Real Madrid era. Mm. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, not just the end. I mean, they were dragged into the streets and shot in the square. It wasn't, they haven't faded out, have they? It was a massacre. Well, one thing that I was, that I was going to ask before we move on. Yes, you mentioned it's the end of that Real Madrid team. Do we expect to see the likes of Sergio Ramos there next season? Because if reports of this believe that Mourinho has been contacted a few times, he's exactly the sort of man who is happy to drag a man out into the street, chain him up for four weeks, let him get pummeled by tomatoes by the villagers, and then kill them. Well, so- <laughs> Not, but, not figuratively but, speaking. Yeah, of course, yeah, you've got to have the figuratively in. <laughs> That's the main pull of Mourinho, that he's going to... He doesn't like how much power that Ramos has got. Mm. And Mourinho is exactly the type of guy that can unsurp Ramos. But it's a very... Apparently, based on polls, a lot of Madrid fans wouldn't mind having him back as well. Which is more confusing for me. Yeah. Given given the, the state of the football club once he left. Mourinho is just a top-class Sam Allardyce. He just moves around the same clubs over and over again. Whoa, hang on. Would Sam Allardyce... No, would Mourinho have led Bolton to European football? I think not, sir. <laughs> um, one last thing on, on Real Madrid. Keylor Navas was a massive part of, of all their Champions League successes over recent years. Courtois has looked shaky AF recently. Ryan, do you, do you think Courtois have had a bit of a baptism of fire this year? And, and do you see him staying at Madrid or at least keeping the number one shirt in the future? I feel like him, Courtois especially, has been given the rough end of the treatment as a, uh, a lot of players 
that Madrid have signed high-profile players have had that before. Obviously, Bale has got it in the net recently. Modric was voted the worst ever signing they ever had back in about 2013, the first year he was there. Um, so I feel like, yeah, it's just maybe not settled. I think the the transfer speculation unsettled him a bit. Um, but I feel like he's in, he's doing enough to... Well, he'll, he'll be their number one goalkeeper because Navas is getting on a bit. But yeah, I, I do feel like it's a bit... Him and Kepper, obviously the two main people involved in the in the goalkeeper transfers in the summer, neither of them have come out of it well in their first season. Um, but yeah, I feel like, again, it's classic Real Madrid just scapegoat the guy who's most recently come in, which is not very healthy considering you want your players to come in and settle. But that's just how they seem to operate as a club. Like They just blame the person who was there the least amount of time. They, they give them the classic, oh no, we're being mean to you because we fancy you. The, the yeah. <laughs> kid school like, no, the, the boys are only being mean to you because they like you. That's what they're telling you <laughs> in the dressing room. Um, right, let, let's move it on. on <laughs> let's move it on to a man who is having a fantastic time of it. Ryan, you're, you're the Harry Kane psychic. You said he was back from injury or he was going to be back from injury ahead of schedule. And he scored the only goal as Spurs, in the end, quite comfortably beat Dortmund over two legs, 4-0. I'd imagine you were heavily invested in the game. How'd it go for you? Um, yeah, I mean, I was ever so glad to hear what was happening in Spain because it sort of, I could seriously see us throwing away the three-goal lead. I mean, I had visions of like a 10th-minute red card for probably Aurier or Sanchez. And I thought it would probably be 2-0 to Dortmund at halftime. And I thought, oh, Christ. And I did look up before the game. I thought, um, I looked up and apparently about three or four occasions where teams had lost a three-goal lead in the first from the first leg. So I thought, at least we won't be the first team to do it, <laughs> which is positive. Um, but yeah, like I say, it was, it was one of those games where we just sort of hung on in there for the first half, really. Lloris made some decent saves. And then it was just almost like your classic um, European performance. You just sort of like hit them on the break, 1-0. And then as soon as we got the goal, we knew that they needed five and it was pretty easy. But yeah, I was just glad not to be the headline because I thought if we throw away a three-goal lead, especially the week before when we lost to Chelsea and obviously just about drew with Arsenal, I thought this could be an absolute nightmare week here. So it was good to just get like a, a nice little low-key 1-0 win, um, get through and then see what Britain brings next round, really. I mean, you talk about Loris there. He did make some fantastic saves. I mean, it could have been a really bad start for Tottenham because I, I did watch the first half. I wasn't able to catch the second, but in, in the first 20 minutes, I thought, fucking hell, like they could be 3-0 down here that quick. Like they really came out slow and Dortmund, you know, they knew the brief. They had to absolutely blow Spurs away to have any chance in the first half. And yeah, Loris certainly um, kept you in there for a moment there. But I think in the second half, you sort of saw it out a lot better. Um, and you know it, it doesn't matter the performance to be honest because Spurs are through despite the fact they've had a sort of rough maybe few yeah. weeks by the season standard and they'll be happy with that I'll tell you what a rough few weeks Jan Vertonghen man absolutely done the first leg and I've watched the tackle he did on Royce in the second leg about 12 times ah. because Royce is just about to side foot the ball home and he just makes the best tackle I've seen in a long time to just get a foot but it comes on it. out of nowhere, doesn't it? Oh, he's, he's an absolute superman. No wonder that's his nickname. Um, but moving from defence to attack, Harry Kane pretty much taking the only chance that he had in the game, or, or clear-cut chance, I should say. And, and I wanted to put this to you. Ryan might have a slightly biased view, but we discuss it nevertheless. Is he, the, is he the best striker, or is he the most complete striker in world football at the moment? 
Ryan, I'll, I'll let you have first dibs. <laughs> um, I don't know about that, to be honest. I oh, mean... Oh, did you say no? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't really know. I mean... I mean it depends. When you say the most complete, I'd probably say Ronaldo, just because he seems to play up front these days, and he's just like he's been really good for so long. Um, he's one of the best strikers, definitely in the league. And then by by a result of that, because it's one of the most competitive leagues in the world, then therefore he is one of the better strikers in the world. Um, yeah, I just I just feel like you you feel a lot more secure knowing that he's playing as a Tottenham fan. Like it was, it was quite interesting to see how we coped with without Kane when he was injured and having Lorente or Son up front, and obviously Son stepped up massively. Um, okay, um, yeah, and it was nice, obviously, to see see those players sort of get um, more of a chance and, and sort of get the headlines. But it, you do feel a lot more um, at ease when he's in the starting eleven because he's just like even his like, like I've said before, like his link up play and, and the way he passes the ball and he can make a goal out of everywhere it's just like it's just really good to have it's like a genuine world class we I think we have a world class defender I think Vertonghen is one of the better defenders in the in the Premier League um, and he's proven that over the last like three three seasons I suppose um, and it's really good to have like a world class striker as well it's, it's just sort of so much more of a calming influence on the rest of the team as well he seems to be um, captain material and I'm surprised he wasn't given it early after what happened with Lloris and the and the drink driving. But yeah, like I say, he's just he's just a he's a bloody good bloke as well. You, you often see him as well on um, social media. He'll sort of reach out to people if they if they send him messages and stuff. He they, he got um, a few people. He replied to a few people this week. He said they were like struggling with various issues, and he sort of took the time out to reply to them. And it's just like he just seems like a top bloke, and it's like it's really weird to see someone like that with that attitude in that, in this sort of like the, whenever footballers get in a bad press, he's just the complete opposite at the minute. <laughs> but yeah, I, I do, I do feel, sorry, just going on what you were saying, Alan, um, I, I can, I can, well, I'd happily sit and discuss football with anyone, but like, um, when people sort of like you say about sort of him being really like really good player and he, there's no doubt he's a good player like world class player now like anyone that says otherwise is just just hasn't been watching football um, but it's like one of those things where like it's more of a case of like I'm really like happy that he plays for the team that I support because he just seems to like like I say off the pitch and on the pitch he just seems like a great bloke and he takes time out to promote various like charity causes or whatever and he and I know other footballers do it but it's just like he just seems like a really genuine person he seems to be very aware of where he's come from and, and everything like that and and it's just like really decent to have him as the ambassador for the club and it's just sort of like yeah regardless of he is a bloody good footballer but also it just makes me think yeah actually we've got a decent guy who's also a really really good striker and he's English and it amazes me that people still criticize him for whatever reason whether it be um he or apparently he can't do certain things, can't score against certain teams or whatever, or for some reason seems to have a go in for having a mild speech impediment. It's like I don't understand like why you're doing it, but you're always going to get people like that. But yeah, it's it's just like it's really good. To, he's just a really positive force for Tottenham, I think, at the minute. Yeah, I mean, in, in terms of the question, is he the best striker in the world currently? Um, I'm not sure it's a particularly vintage period at the moment. Mm, that's true. Um, we're probably coming to the end of a few of the established elites. You know, we're talking about sort of Suarez, Lewandowski, Ronaldo, even Cavani maybe. Cavani's still knocking them in at a decent pace for Paris Saint-Germain, but probably not as good as he was maybe in the last two years. Um, 
there's maybe a gap between the ones coming through, but Kane is certainly right up there. You probably think maybe him, Mbappe, Icardi, Dembele are the one uh, players who are sort of maybe pushing through to have that sort of mantle as best striker. Um, but the rate Kane knocks him in and, and the regularity at which he does, despite having injury brief injury problems and the same period of the season seemingly for the past two, three years. And, but he's still, you know, getting 30 goals plus. Um, that is the sign of a, a great striker. And I've said it before. It amazes me about Kane that he doesn't seem to do anything like outrageously well. It, it's I, I wouldn't call Kane like box office in terms of, you know, some of the outrageous goals. But he just does everything like the basics so, so well and just knocks up the goals. It's, you know, it's a, it's a testament like young sort of strikers should look at what Kane's doing. Don't don't look at like the rainbow flicks and the goals for 40 yards. It's the basics that Kane does well that should be admired. But yeah, I, I, I do, I do feel, sorry, just going on what you were saying, Alan. Um, I, I can, I can, well, I'd happily sit and discuss football with anyone, but like, um, when people sort of like you say about sort of him being really like really good player, and he, there's no doubt he's a good player, like world class player now. Like anyone that says otherwise is just just hasn't been watching football. Um, but it's like one of those things where like it's more of a case of like I'm really like happy that he plays for the team that I support because he just seems to like like I say off the pitch and on the pitch he just seems like a great bloke and he takes time out to promote various like charity causes or whatever. And he and I know other footballers do it, but it's just like he just seems like a really genuine person. He seems to be very aware of where he's come from and, and everything like that and and it's just like really decent to have him as the ambassador for the club and yeah. it's just sort of like yeah regardless of he is a bloody good footballer but also it just makes me think yeah actually we've got a decent guy who's also a really really good striker and he's English and it amazes me that people still criticize him for whatever reason whether it be um he or apparently he can't do certain things, can't score against certain teams or whatever, or for some reason seems to have a gut in for having a mild speech impediment. It's like I don't understand like why you're doing it, but you're always gonna get people like that. But yeah, it's it's just like it's really good to he's just a really positive force for Tottenham, I think, at the minute. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. And and he is basically one of the main reasons why Spurs have been so successful in, in recent years and in really building from from like a stable core that that don't really do too much spectacular, but just are solid hard workers. And um, one stat that I wanted to share with you, Tottenham have scored 12 goals this season. 12 out of the 13 Champions League goals they've scored this season have come in the second half. So they're very much a team who, who likes to likes to finish games off in the second half. If we jump on over to Dortmund, though, briefly before we move on, and, and Ryan, I know you know the Bundesliga well, not having a great time of it in Germany really almost like Liverpool have, have seen their lead at the top of the league slip away. And they've now been eliminated um, at this stage of the Champions League on the on two of the last three occasions. Not not happy hunting times for, for Dortmund, is it? No, I think their season is very much in danger of going down the pan. They really have to watch out, especially, well, hopefully now for their sake, because I don't ever really want to see Bayern Munich win the league because it's just boring. Um, but hopefully for their sake, they, they can sort of pull out of this tailspin now that they don't have the Champions League as a distraction. But um, like I said, they, they got a, a fairly significant loss how, how, um, dealt to them by a G Dong Wong inspired Augsburg at the weekend uh, for those yeah for those um, for, um people 
old enough to remember him playing for Sunderland. Um, yeah, so that was um, that was a bit of a strange game. But yeah, hopefully they can sort of um, pull out of the of the sort of form there at the minute because they are a very good football inside. And as I said I was very keen to see how they went against Spurs. So um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens for the rest of the, the rest of the year now in the Bundesliga. But hopefully they'll be they'll be okay. One thing that was highlighted in the game is they haven't stopped scoring race, um, recently. That that's not the issue. They've been they've been getting double, double uh, two three goals regularly in the past. Few it's the defence that they need to really sort out. So maybe they need to, as as we said, as you just said, they're they're a good attacking side, and maybe they need to have a look at if, if they need to maybe tone back what what they're doing a bit more. Maybe be be a bit more sensible, and that's what you have got to do in a title run. Sometimes you've got to sacrifice sort of aesthetics for, um, you know, sensible one nil results. Mm. I'm not sure, to my knowledge, they've had many, many of those in the last few games. No, that's true. And like I say, with with um, I, I looked obviously the the Tottenham game the other day. You could tell that um, Lucien Favre he was really annoyed when Kane scored because it was about the same time when Son had scored in the first leg, just after half time. And it does seem to be a concentration thing. Sometimes the back four will just switch off, and it's like. Okay, well we're one 0 down now, and now we've got to come. Or in that case, on Tuesday night, it's oh, okay. We're four 0 down now, and we're going to have to sort it out. And it's just like you don't keep making those mistakes. It's only certain amounts of times you can make those mistakes and just write off as a one off. You're carrying on losing that, that those key concentration um, battles. Then obviously it's, it becomes a, a bigger problem. But Bayern won't let up now for the rest of the year. They'll they'll be hunting. Um, on, on Dortmund's tail. So it'd be interesting to see how they cope with the pressure of it, really. It will be indeed. Right after the break, we'll move on to the Wednesday night games where VAR ran riot as Manchester United face PSG and Porto face Roma. Be back in a tick. If you're an MMA fan, be sure to check out the new Switchkick podcast. We preview upcoming events, discuss the big UFC and Bellator news, and John from Philadelphia drops in to give us a few betting tips. To listen, search for Switchkick MMA on SoundCloud or Switchkick in the Apple Store. Right, welcome back. And as I said, it's time for the Wednesday night games. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> Pretty bloody happy. Let's start it off. PSG versus Manchester United. It's impossible, they said. It was a mountain, they said. Mountain climbed. Mission impossible done in Tom Cruise-esque fashion. 3-1 win as Man United with a little bit of help of VAR. That was beautiful. What did you boys think? Fuck off, PSG. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, very happy that they're out. Like, just shows that you can't just dope your way to, financially dope your way to a final. Um, So, yeah, yeah, they... um, I'll tell you what, I was speaking... um, I went to see... um, uh, parents earlier as I, I said to you earlier in the group chat me and my dad were speaking to it he watched the first half I watched the sort of game unfold on the phone PSG didn't deserve to go through I mean like the, the way they played they were just very very sort of conservative they seemed to be very keen to take sort of like fouls and stay on the floor especially the last 10 minutes or so and it was really funny it's always makes you laugh when a team that's been time wasting then realises they have to go at the other end and score and it's uh, very much sort of like aggressively like okay give me the ball and all this and it was it was a bit like that for them but yeah I thought Man United were full um, very good value for it even though both the first two goals came from mistakes that's because PSG again they were being very cautious and they weren't really 
um, showing the right mentality to, to sort of see out the 2-0 win. So, yeah, they got what they deserved, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, looking at it from a, a slightly more conservative point, man, you were quite lucky to go through, given, you know, the, the way that Lukaku took his first two goals. So you've got to be in the right position for them, but they were, you know, slightly fortuitous. And, you know, you can debate about the handball, but PSG in the last 10 minutes, what the hell were they doing? Like, the Di Maria goal, when was that, 85th minute or something like that? The disallowed, sorry, disallowed oh, goal. Yeah, yeah, it was in the last 10 minutes, but, I think. But I counted it. They've, they've got, like, seven players in and around the opposition box. They've got barely anyone back. And you think, how, you've been through this before. What are you, they're meant to be, and this is something we talked about before, but they've got a bit more savvy in the Champions League now because they've got players who've been there, done that, seen a bit more of what how it can go wrong. Those same players were then attacking in the last 10 minutes of a Champions League title. They just need to see out. You think, what are you doing? Away from that, though, what a performance from Man U, considering they've got McTominay, Fred... And Andreas Pereira. And Andreas Pereira propping up the midfield, who all did fantastically well, by the way. McTominay looked, didn't look out of place in that midfield. He did everything sensibly well, didn't lose the ball easily, um, looked pretty assured, a few tough tackles there. It was a really good performance from him. And, and impressive from Manchester United, when, granted, yes, but all the goals were essentially gifted to United. But bearing in mind, United had 10 players out injured, propping up a midfield, as Alan said, and substitutes that came on were Eric Bailly going off injured, which I think was a blessing in disguise for Manchester United because he looked out of place. Was it right even back. an injury? Because he was gas. He limped I, off. <laughs> if, if I was subbed in, I'd probably limp off. I reckon it's that. Yeah. You've got to make it look like there's something wrong, yeah? Oh, he was so out. Yeah, yeah, he was he was out of his depth uh, at right back for Manchester United, but he went off. Manchester United brought on Diogo Dalot, who, if there was a camera, if there was a fly on the wall in in the living room where me, Alan, and uh, and a friend were watching it, the best piece of commentary you'll ever see is from Alan when Diogo Dalot absolutely rinses Juan Bernat, and about two minutes later, he gets it on the right wing. He just says, "Calm down," and Alan goes, "Oh my God, look, it's Chavi." Before the lot absolutely pings a 35-yard ball straight to Mbappe for a two-on-one. And it was just, it was absolutely wonderful. But a great performance <laughs> from, from Manchester United. Bearing in mind the next two substitutes were both Academy players in Chong and Mason Greenwood. So the fact that they came out of that tie with a weakened side, and the fact that they're now the first ever Champions League team to lose by two or more goals at home and go through to the next round. I think fair play to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Just give him the contract, give him any amount of money because the man has clearly got things going. But the, I mean, it was amazing. Tactically, he got that very, very well because they, they seemed to start up with about four different formations during that game. He had to alter the way they did things several times, especially in the opening exchanges where they were having a lot of joy down the left side. Switched it up, brought a lot on. Um, for injury or the otherwise, but that seemed to sort of address that. Um, and he addressed a few things during the game. And they were saying the one thing that was maybe questioned about Solskjaer is, was he going to be tactically sound enough? Um, you know, he brought back the feel-good factor, but when it counts, comes to it, is he going to be have the tactical nous in these sorts of games? And I think in that game, at least, he proved that he has got, you know, some proper management chops it comes to sort of reacting to situations. 
who very he managed that game incredibly well. Uh, an interesting thing as well, six goals in his last three games. And, and I know I, I was talking to Alan about this yesterday and the fact that prior to that, he'd gone on a nine-game streak without scoring. But he looks like he's forming quite a good partnership now with uh, Marcus Rashford up top. Looking ahead, Ryan, do you think Romelu Lukaku is going to carry this scoring streak on going? Or do you think he's going to be a classic, he's going to do a classic Romelu Lukaku and, and score again, but then not score again for the rest of the season? Um, I'm interested to see how he gets on on is it Sunday when they play Man United, uh, Arsenal at the Emirates? Yes, this weekend, yeah. Yeah, I'm interested to see how he gets on because he did have a lot of joy against um Arsenal in the FA Cup game and seems to remember playing like him playing on the right hand side um of the sort of the four three three or whatever the formation they played. Be interesting to see whether he's um the big boy up top now because he's had a few goals this uh, last few weeks and whether or not Solskjaer will now switch it around and go back to the sort of like him being up front. Um but yeah, I think he's 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 always been a, a good player in my opinion. Um but then my experience of Lukaku was always tempered because he always seemed to have worse games against Tottenham because he would play against Alderweireld and Vertonghen because and because they, they knew him from Belgium they would always just pocket him every game when he played for Everton. So it's like I always thought that Lukaku was never that good. And it's only when I started watching him in games when I wasn't a Tottenham fan. And I thought, actually, no, he is good, just not against the Tongan and Alderweireld. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think he is, he's, he's definitely got enough to, to see this through to the end of the year now. Um, it's just whether or not, obviously, like I say, Solskjaer is actually going to allow him to play up front um, all the rest of the season or whether he's going to go back to his um, FA Cup tactics. It, w- it will be interesting. And one thing, a stat that I saw, seven seasons in a row now, Lukaku has got double figures, which is impressive for a man who's 25 years old. Definitely. I mean, uh, the first year he did that, was that when he was on loan at West Brom? I believe, or... I believe so. That was when when he moved from Chelsea to West Brom on loan and then, and then made his mark at Everton after that. Yeah, so like I say, considering you do forget how young he is, again, like because he was one of them players that seems to be... He was like a child prodigy at Anderlecht and then he got moved to Chelsea. Um, so, yeah, like I say, he he definitely has the ability to be United's number one striker for the next, what, five, six years, depending on how well he goes with injuries and stuff. Um, but, yeah, he's he's hopefully shook off that tag. He just needs to get... Um, uh, shook off this tag about like people having to go his like, first touch and stuff um, because like, obviously that is... Um, something that has followed him around for the last few sort of like seasons or so. Um, but yeah, like I say, he's definitely, definitely going to lead the line for United for the foreseeable future. So, and, and if not, he looked like a pretty dependable centre-back. Absolutely took that so seriously as well. Like oh. there was, he was like, no, no boys, don't worry. I know Chris Morning, you've had a fantastic game, but I'll just slot in here. I'll, uh, I'll rule the roost. While we're talking about Lukaku, though, nice touch from him at the end, consoling yes. Kimpembe. The yeah. first thing he did before celebrating was going up to him, which I thought was, yeah, really nice. And he was commended for it, and rightly so. And not the first time he's done that either. If, if you remember back to the group stages when Manchester United beat Benfica and Mila Shvila, the young Belgian goalkeeper, like basically ran the ball oh, yeah. into his own net. As soon as that game ended, the first thing he did was go up to the goalkeeper and, and console him. So... Clearly, he's, he's a very, very humble man and, and, and knows what he wants to do. Before we move on from Manchester United quickly, um, I don't know if you've seen us on Twitter. I'll put it on, I'll retweet it and like it and pin it to our, our thing. Uh, a Manchester United fan uh, whose, whose Twitter account is at Tommy Chin tweeted five minutes before the game, honestly got a good feeling about this, probably either get totally hammered 
or we'll put on a show. Lukaku with two, PSG come back with one, and Rashford fires home 92nd minute into injury time. Burn the witch. Ryan, you're, hmm. you're, you're a psychic. What? <laughs> where, where are you guys getting this from? What Are you meeting up at weekends just to, to get lottery numbers as well? Because can I get this? I, I hate to be one of those people that's a massive skeptic about this, but you do sometimes see people that do that and they literally just tweet every scenario going and then just keep their account private and then just um, go public as soon as something that they've actually put happens. So I'm a bit skeptical about that. But like I say, if he's called that, then fair play to him. But um, yeah, on the topic of the penalty, do you think it was a penalty? Because I, I do. I've watched it and I think, yeah, he's he's turned his back on the ball and it's sort of his ball, his hand is just completely in a very strange position. I think it's definitely a penalty. There's been some discussion about this, but I was wondering what you thought, Danny. I, I think it was a penalty if it wouldn't have otherwise twatted a seagull. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. It was going pretty far over, wasn't it? Oh, God, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I think it's a penalty as well. His arm is in an unnatural position, and I was looking as well, and, and the commentator on the night, I think it was Darren Fletcher, um, and then a couple of, of people on Twitter as well have, have spoken to referees or been at like the referees' meetings. And I think in the Champions League and European competitions, referees have, have mentioned this thing about um, a natural silhouette. And if a player extends or enlarges their body past that natural silhouette in any way, they will be inclined to give it more. And, and I think Kimbepe, yes, he's turning his back, but in turning his back, his, his elbow comes up to a an unnatural position from that silhouette. Whether or not that's a, a rule going forward, do not quote me on that, but that's what referees seem to be saying in the Champions League at the moment. Natural silhouette is something that sticks in my mind for some reason. <laughs> what a bizarre phrase. Yeah, okay. I, I'll be honest, I'll, I'll double check to make sure it is natural silhouette, but they were talking about uh, like basically the shadow of a player and if, if players make their body bigger than any other reason with their arms, then, then referees are more inclined. And, and I think VAR will always give it with the amount of angles they get for those sort of handballs. Um, we'll move on to the Porto-Roma game because, again, VAR, we can, we can just carry it on with this. Uh, this game was decided in the end time by VAR. Um, Florenzi hugging back the uh, Fernando oh. from Porto. And this is, again, just... It's silly defending. It's silly, it's, defending. It's silly defending, but like it, it's not so much a tug as it is lightly... Caressing his lightly back. caressing the, his shirt. Um, it goes down very easy, but that's exactly what you know is going to happen. Why the heck are you grabbing a shirt from that position? They're Italian, man. They just oh. it's just natural. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we 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 know what we're doing in the box, um, and and you know if it goes to VAR, it's going to look like a vicious slow mo. As everything does. That's GBH for Florenzi. Um, Porto coming out three one winners in this one. I guess produce another upset. They, they did well in, in the group stages, top their group, but most people would have assumed Roma would have carried on um, from their 2-1 victory in the first leg. But again, VAR controversy, Ryan, did you see this penalty? What did you think? Um, yeah, I thought it was, again, it, it's it's silly to put your hands on a player like that. I, I did see the highlights again. I, I sort of was concentrating mostly on the United game for obvious reasons because um, it seemed to be the, the game that had more in it and then I, I sort of caught the bit in extra time when Porto were 2-1 up um, but I do think that this game again um, 
was it wasn't necessarily hinging on the VAR decision because I think Porto were the better team, and um, that has sort of been um, borne out. I, th- I think the very the key point was um, the when Porto got their goal in Rome. Um, I think like because obviously Roma went two 0 up with um, Zanolio, is it the young lad who scored the yeah. winger? He scored twice, didn't he? And, and it was sort of like Roma seems to be in control, and then really out of nowhere, like Porto got a goal. And I, I, I remember thinking at the time, I think, oh, that could be interesting, taking that forward. And then obviously it turned out to be very, very key because of the um, Porto obviously giving away the penalty for De Rossi. So if it wasn't for that goal, then you'd probably see Roma go through quite comfortably, really. But yeah, it was. Um, I thought they they would they were good value for it. I think all of the teams that have gone through so far have done so on merit. Obviously, Tottenham, because they went through fairly um, comfortably. But Ajax were definitely worth the, the the victory over two legs. I think were, even though they were poor in the first leg of the uh, Old Trafford game, I feel like they were worth it because of their application and their struggling through the 10 injuries. Um, yes, sir. And I think Porto were definitely better than Roma over the two legs. So I'm sort of like happy that it's gone to form and it's sort of gone with the, the, the teams that deserved it have got the luck in a way. I think that's very good. Yeah, no, completely, completely agree with you, to be honest. And Alan's just shown me his phone. Um, I'll let him break the news because he found it. But, oh, my God. So, in the last, well, 15 minutes, the story's been published. Uh, Francesco's been sacked. Di Francesco has been sacked following that Champions League defeat. Um, and a man that's close to coming to terms with um, taking over for the rest of the season... Uh, Mr. Claudio Ranieri. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Interesting. <laughs> um, fallen upwards. Yeah. What? Yeah. I mean, like his Fulham spell was pretty terrible, but that that is um, that is a bit bizarre that he's been now been given the um, given the job there. But yeah, like I say, I'm 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 not surprised that um, you for. Um, Di Francesco has been sacked because I feel like Roma, the Champions League, was their one of their main um, aims, and obviously to go out to a team, no disrespect to Porto, but a team that they probably would think they should be beating. That's probably been the last, um, the last straw for them. How are they doing in Serie A, Danny? Are they okay at the minute, or are they mid-table? Believe they're combating for top four. I think they're out of. I think I want to say they're sixth. Last time I checked, and last time I checked is right now. As I Google Serie A table, I feel like they were sixth last time I looked. They're fifth. Apologies. I was. Where are, where are Atalanta as well? Atalanta. Just a, it's completely unrelated, but I want to know. Atalanta eighth. Eighth. They've, they've, uh... How are they only eighth? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they've got like the best front line in the whole of Europe, and they're only eighth, the eighth best team in Italy. That's a joke. Yeah, they've, they've scored the second most goals in Serie A this season, only one behind Juventus with 54. Um, but. But yeah, they're they're only eight. Sidetracking slightly from uh, from that, but if if we jump back to to the Champions League, uh, Porto, like you said, very good value for their lead, and a man who's been on absolute red hot form for them uh, in the Champions League and in in their league games as well. Striker Musa Morega, and here's a little bit of trivia for you: he's only the second African player to score in six consecutive Champions League appearances. Can you name the other? Um, Thingy. Uh, yep. Yes, I can. Samuelato. Fuck. <laughs> He's gone Samuelato. Oh, it's not. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you an option. I, I would have said Eto, but seeing as Ryan. Yeah, you're a bit hesitant there, Danny. I'm not sure that I'm right now. I'm going to go with. Great for, for the listeners here. Just I'm, I'm, pure silence. 
Um, yes. Just give me any African footballer. Uh, I've got, I've, I've got a secondary guess in the hutch, if not. Drogba. You've gone Drogba. What was that, Ryan? Who did you, who did you want to have? I was going to say, I was going to go really left field from his Porto days again. I was going to go Benny McCarthy. Oh, that's such a fair shout. Both wrong. It's Marouane Shamak. Oh, really? Marouane Shamak in 2010 scored in six consecutive Champions League appearances. I would have, you could have, I would be here for like the rest of the week trying to guess, and I would have never said Shamak. <laughs> I'd have gone Drogba, like say all, all of those sort of people, the, the classic um, sort of like really popular African players. No way would I have gone, oh my God. What? Nacho Monreal just scored the funniest own goal ever. Or is it Koscielny? <laughs> Um, I oh the ball's just hit him and it's looped over Czech's head. Hilarious, lovely stuff. Oh, Arsenal got a red card as well. Yeah, oh it's Kashani. Yeah, sorry, sorry. We'll cut. We can cut a bit out. I just, I just couldn't. I couldn't let that go without comment. That was mental. <laughs> I mean, going back to that though, I genuinely have st- would have started naming English players. <laughs> yeah, I'd have, I'd have probably gone players that uh, were born in France, played for France, but had Algerian parents before before Shamak. I'd have gone said like Zidane, maybe or players with players like that because I just would not have got him. <laughs> Come on, Tim Cahill famously never playing in the Champions League. <laughs> what did Millwall ever get into the Champions League? Shamak. Oh, Marouane Shabak was the answer. Um, before we move away from this, Roma have lost their last eight Champions League knockout games away from home. So it wasn't ever going to be good tidings for them in this one. One thing that Alan mentioned yesterday, probably would get very good money on saying that Spurs, Ajax, Man United and Porto were the first four teams to go through in the Champions League knockout stages. I mean, yeah, Ryan, you'd agree with this, given that Tottenham got through the group stage on some sort of goal difference. No, no, not even goal difference, was it? I mean, they they looked... Head-to-head record, yeah. The halfway point. Um, Manu, the same, looked very shaky. Um, We said earlier, Ajax haven't had much success in getting through their groups of late. And Porto, you know, they had an okay group, but them to get to the quarters was probably... Um, it's, it's been a really interesting Champions League for that regard. Has indeed. And and there's more Champions League to come next week. What are we thinking for the tie? Let's start it off with the big one. Atletico Madrid currently leading Juventus by two goals to nil. Just a quick fire thing. What do we think the score is going to be and who do we think is going through? Alan? Well, there's been two teams this week who, well... Three teams who have been unable to close out leads. I don't think Atletico will be that. They are the savviest team in Europe. Um, and I think they should be able to close out anything. Uh, I just wonder if Simeone is going to do that cojones movement again. <laughs> I, I hope he does. I like it. Ryan? Um, yeah, I think I put something in the group chat recently, didn't I? And it said about... Um, Juventus are going to get absolutely shit housed in the second leg, and it was going to be the ball will be in play for about 13 of the 90 minutes. <laughs> Atletico are just going to be absolutely not interested in playing football. They'll be playing a different sport entirely. Um, yeah, I can see it. I can see it being like a nil-nil, just getting like a, a, a classic, just like nil or draw. That'll do them. Um, I don't see Juventus going through. 
I mean, again, I'm not a particularly big fan of Juventus is after what happened last year when um, Chiellini sort of gave it big licks when they knocked Tottenham out. So I'd happily see Atletico go through. I see um, Simeone as a lovable little scamp. So I'd like him to go through um, and I'd like Atletico to go through as well. But yeah, I'm, I'm hoping when it finishes nil-nil and it's not one of the most boring games in the world. I, I can't wait for Simeone to introduce Diego Costa into a pivot role in centre of midfield. <laughs> on the but only for that to be a Trojan horse of kicking the shit out of Juventus players. Um, glorious. Oh, Absolutely glorious. <laughs> glorious for all the wrong reasons. Uh, if we jump over to probably a more fine-tuned game, City do lead Schalke by three goals to two and are at home. But anything can happen in the Champions League. Ryan, uh, is Dan Caliguri going to get an absolute wonder game and, and send it through, or is it going to be a City win? Um, I mean, like I said, I'd like to see the game be as competitive as possible. Um, so I'd like to think that Schalke will come and have a go, um, especially the way, like I said, they, they seem to play quite well on the front foot in the first leg and they were 2-1 up for a fair amount of time. Um, I just can't see, I can't see it, like I said, with the, the form they're in domestically at the moment, they're sort of seriously cons- um, being considered as t- a team that could end up in the relegation spots or in the relegation playoffs. Um, so I feel like the only way they're going to get anything out of this game is if they just think, okay, well, we'll treat it as a one-off cup final. We'll go for it. And then if we win, we win. If we get beat 4-0, then fair enough, because we've got bigger issues this season. Yeah, I think Schalke's best hope lay in the, the first leg when they basically caught City napping a bit. I think City didn't come out too strong. Schalke sort of pounced on that. Um, but City clawed their way back into the game, didn't they? And I think that... Was it the Sterling goal, the final goal? Yes. That's, that saved a tie for City, if, if it was ever really in doubt anyway, because I think they'll win comfortably at the City ground. Um, yeah, I mean, they're on a, such a good run on the league as well. They're, what, five five wins on the trot? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't see this being too much of a struggle for City. Well, you talk about napping and we'll save the last two games, which probably were the most boring of all of the games in the Champions League in the first round of ties. Bayern Munich, Liverpool and Barcelona, Lyon, which both ended nil-nil, both finally poised. Uh, let's start with Bayern, Liverpool. Alan, which way do you see this one going? Tactical, tactical. I mean, if the pundits are anything to go by, Bayern are going to completely <laughs> go mad in the second leg and just start attacking fruitfully, like recklessly I, I don't think that'll be the case I think they'll try and play a bit more sensible again and try and frustrate Liverpool and, and possibly nick a goal will Bayern be distracted though by the fact that Joachim Lowe has retired their entire German cohort <laughs> from the national team yeah uh, Thomas Muller put like a very sort of sad video up online I don't know if you're on his Twitter where he basically mm. just said the German football team lacked class um, in basically retiring him which means he won't be the World Cup's top goal scorer of all time. But sorry, this is sort of deterring a bit from the Champions League. But I don't get why they're doing that. If if Muller goes and has a great season next season, he's still what twenty nine, yeah, twenty eight. There's no going back from this. Yeah. If if Muller rediscovers the form he had two three years ago, what, what are you going to do? You can't you can't backtrack from this. It's a very definite road that Lock and Low has gone down. Yeah. retiring you know there, there's an argument to be made for Hummels and Boateng Boateng certainly hasn't found anywhere near the form he had of four years ago um, Hummels probably the same but I question this Muller decision because he could start knocking them in 
He could. Uh, Ryan, what do you think? Um, I, I'd, I think you could probably apply the same logic to um, to the both of the defenders as well, like I say, because it is a case of form. And at the minute, all three of them are not performing to the levels they did when they won the World Cup. But like I say, what's to say that Hummels or Burton might have a bit of a renaissance over the next few years? You've only got to look at players sort of like in their early 30s who are defenders who are sort of coming of age almost or, or playing really, really well recently. So it wouldn't be unheard of for any three of them to um, come back to some form. But I think it's more of a case, it's all more of a mentality change. I think, okay, um, we'll, we'll start again, we'll start afresh, we'll get players in. There, there seems to, in Germany, it seems to be a big thing about sort of like cutting off after they've had a bad tournament, you cut off certain players and you don't pick them again. A bit like what happened after 2000 and the Euros in 2004 when they were knocked out in the group stages. Um, so it does seem to be it's more of like a mental thing it's okay we'll we'll thank you for your efforts but then we won't pick you again and then we'll look at some young players because they've got some bloody good players coming through as a youth setup as German football uh, always seems to do so like I said they won't be wanting for talent um, but it's just more of a case of like for their mentality they think okay we'll finish with those well done but we'll start again with um, some younger players who can take us forward for the next decade or so yeah, so um, it's going to be Bayern Munich 3, Liverpool 0. Hat-trick, <laughs> hat-trick by Muller, assists by the two. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could happen. Liverpool, of course, as we know, losing that lead in the Premier League and coming off the back of a 0-0 draw with Everton where the front three didn't really fire. So anything can happen. As we head into the last game, Barcelona versus Lyon. 0-0 in this one. Barcelona at the Camp Nou and fresh off the back a very, very good performance against Real Madrid. Two very good performances against Real Madrid last week. Is it pretty much nailed on Barcelona win, Ryan? Um, I think both, to be honest, I think both of the games, the Liverpool one and the Lyon one, they both hinge on whether the um, team away from home can just nick a goal. I feel like the game will open up so much more. If Leon can score, because Leon, this is, a, again, something people forget. Leon are a very good team. They pushed uh, Man City all the way in um, the group stages. And obviously, Man City are considered one of the better teams in Europe. So I think that there is potential here for both games. If, if Leon can nick a goal, if Liverpool can go one up, that means that they have got a very, very good chance of getting through. Um, both teams so I, I wouldn't write Leon off too much because like I said they're a very very good team they've got very good players for example you've got obviously Mendy at left back and Dombele Mepis Depay um, so I wouldn't write them off at all um, obviously Barcelona are in good form at the minute and they are Barcelona so they can always just turn up whenever they want to but um, it all depends on who gets the first goal in that game because it could I think genuinely both of them could go very much either way Ooh he's sitting on the fence a little bit Alan I, I think it will turn out to be a bit of a non-event. Something, something like a 2-0 to Barcelona, but never really in doubt sort of thing. I, I can see them being quite professional in this game in the way they sort of see off Leon. Cutthroat Barca right ahead towards the end of the podcast. We finish off with our talking points as usual. Anyone got anything from the last week or so of football that they want to share, Ryan? <laughs> Um, just, just a sort of a quick discussion on these new rules that apparently are coming in next year about um, different things. One of them, for example, no attacking players influencing the wall at free kicks. Um, obviously, that seems to be a big rule. And um, different things such as like the players coming off as substitutes to stop um, time wasting. You're supposed to just leave at the nearest point on the pitch and then 
the substitute can come on. Um, I'm just interested to see how that will be officiated, whether there'll be sort of like yellow or red cards given out to people who are trying to time waste the subs and whether like how close the attacking players are allowed to get from the wall, really. I was just wondering uh, what you had on the pins on some of the rules. I don't know if you'd seen any any of the sort of like the new ones they're apparently bringing in and whether you think it's a good or a bad thing going forward. Yeah, I was I was looking at the handball one as well, which, which is um, interesting in that any goal scored by a hand will now be disallowed completely. Um, which, to be honest, that one I think is is fair shout because the game is football. So if a hand scores or assists a goal, it should be disallowed irrespective of it, if it's deliberate. Uh, to be honest, all of them seem pretty fair. Time-wasting, just leave the pitch at the nearest exit. That That's fair enough. It, it stops, I'd imagine the constant annoyance of substitutions happening in like the 91st minute and everyone just going, you're going to add 30 seconds on, aren't you? You're going to add 30 seconds on. <laughs> um, and then and then the free kick wall one, yeah, fair enough. If it means that the referee can control the wall from stopping edging forwards because there's no attacking player just running around constantly to to block it, then, then fair play. I, I think all of them are... A fair game. Um, another, another, sorry, another talking point I've got as well. Um, this is more of a positive. Well, the other one was a positive one, but this is again positive for two clubs in particular. Um, I don't know if you've been following the Checker Trade Trophy much this week, uh, boys. Have you? Can't say I have. Um, just obviously, um, as we, me and Danny are um, alumni of Portsmouth University, have um, got through to the final of um, the Checker Trade Trophy, which is really good to hear because it's a day out at Wembley for the fans who have suffered a lot in the last few years. Is it Sunderland? And they, yeah, they'll be playing Sunderland as well. Again, another team that's sort of fallen on hard times. I imagine um, looking at the allocations for both the tickets, both teams are going to get about 40,000 tickets. So there will be a fair few in Wembley that day. Probably going to be a sellout considering the sort of the backing of both teams. So that's going to be really good. I might might give that a watch. I was considering going and then I saw the tickets were an extortionate amount. <laughs> about 60 quid, some of them. Yeah. I mean, that's that's about as big as the Czech trade's ever going to get, really. Because it's definitely mm, a competition. Big, big when they drop into those lower leagues don't tend to focus on and in fact avoid going on a run because it's really not worth it but Sunderland and Portsmouth have obviously taken it seriously for one way or another Sunderland probably primarily because they had to face Newcastle under 21s along the way and on their Twitter they said they had beaten Newcastle (laughs) (laughs) 4-0 when in fact it had been uh, their under 21s team but yeah that's definitely a game to look forward to Look forward to seeing that on the entry. And uh, in, in the last few years, just just going off on that subject as well, the last few years it does seem to be a, uh, the the Checker Trade Trophy or the or the um, EFL Trophy, depending on what you call it. Um, it does seem to be a breeding ground for teams that are in absolute terrible ways at the minute. They they does seem to be a good outlet for them. I remember one year when Luton were on the on their way out of the football league, they won the EFL Trophy a few years ago, and when Southampton were in League One, they also won it and. Um, last year or year before Coventry as well who are a team with another like have have had issues with their um, ownership so it does seem like if you're a team that's in the administration or has terrible owners you're pretty much guaranteed a cup final which is quite nice considering the fans usually just have nothing to celebrate (laughs) oh that's that is good indeed Uh, Alan you got any talking points from this week no not really Um, did we talk about last week when John Terry giving advice to the England rugby team 
He was invited to training. Sorry, what? England, the England rugby team invited John Terry into the camp to give a talk. I have no idea what he could possibly offer, though. <laughs> is, he, is, he, is he telling them how to be more racist? <laughs> <laughs> no, th- this is how you have sex with someone else's wife. <laughs> Oh, well. Um, And also, because we've obviously been off for a bit, uh, we didn't really talk about Scotty Parker. Yeah. The Fulham job. I'm very worried, and we were talking about this yesterday, that he might be one of the first managers to get relegated with a team, take over as manager, then get relegated again. (laughs) It's a very real possibility. Oh, it probably is an almost certainty now. An interesting thing I saw today as well. He's gone and hired two backroom staff members from Tottenham, so he clearly thinks he's in there for the long run. <laughs> he's not—he's not messing around. He's like, no, no, this isn't just a temporary thing. I'm—I'm I'm taking over. Um, but I love—I love Scott Parker though, and uh, the way in the limited amount of time he's had, but he, he speaks very well, and mm. he, he was quite highly regarded in Spurs and and Fulham. So Captain England as well. Captain <laughs> England, uh, Stuart Pearce's one. But yeah, I, I hope he does good things. Yeah, good luck to Scott Parker. And, and he's going to need to because Fulham are going to be in trouble. Before we go, the one thing or two things I wanted to mention: Grealish's volley. Don't know if any of you saw it. Great training ground. That or John McGinn, Ryan. Oh, I don't know. I'll probably say McGinn because it hits the bar and goes in. <laughs> oh, fuck off. No. <laughs> but um, yeah, the absolute the absolute disrespect to do that in the first half when you're already three 0 up against a very good derby team that was that was pretty impressive and it was his first game back since December so yeah very very good um, very very good hit and um, as as normal with the football league when I watch the highlights that was one of about three or four very very good goals scored by players that really shouldn't be doing that sort of thing so it was really good a goal uh, great goal indeed. Finish off with I could help off with this. Fabio Cagliarella, what a man! He's thirty-six years old, and he's only gone and got top of the goal scorers chart in Africa. What a man! I'm hunting that eighty-eight card now. <laughs> I sold the eighty-seven. I'm going to get the eighty-eight now, definitely. He's fine wine. I believe recently published. I think it was a newspaper published the team of season so far in the Serie A. No place for Ronaldo, but quite <laughs> your boy has. Of course he has. He's bloody beautiful. Right, I think on that, we'll call it a day. I can hear pots and pans going to the background. Which is- <laughs> He's got his tater. Oh, yeah. The tatties are coming out of the oven, so we'll let you go. Ryan, as always, thank you very much. Cheers, mate. See you later. Have a good week. Yeah, cheers. You too, Alan. Arriva Dirt. Remember, you can listen to us on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes. If you want to get in touch, GameTime underscore podcast. If you want to get in touch with us in Gmail, it's GameTimePodcast1 at gmail.com. Come next week. See you later.